Good morning. I'm going to try to keep this from falling over. <laughs> I just want to say that I'm really proud of the youth for stepping up and doing that video. I asked them to do it just to have a tidbit in the sermon. And then thank you, Allie, for doing children's moment this morning. I love when y'all get involved and um, show the parts of you that other people don't see. And so it's really healing and um they always bring a refreshing light to different things. And so I really appreciate that. Working with them on that video last night, they were just like, let's do this, let's do this. You know, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> and so it was really cool working with them on that video. And um, thank you to all of our youth. So, so um, for a while now, I have had this, the book of Ruth stuck in my head, and I didn't know why until recently when I started, um, I was listening to a sermon a while back, and it gave me a whole new perspective on the book of Ruth. When you generally think about it, you think of the ultimate love story, and so I kind of want to take that back a little bit and start from the beginning and start... um, go back and see how it all began in the beginning. And so today we're going to be reading from, I forgot my clicker, (laughs) I forgot, for the PowerPoint. So we're going to be in Ruth, and it's a very short book. And so I want to read a little bit from chapters 1 and 3, or 1 through 3. Chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine, meaning there was a scarcity in food in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Mahalon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So let's look at this a little bit. Up here in the purple is Moab, and to give you a little background on Moab, It was on a main trading highway, and it rained a lot there, either during the spring. I mean, they had very short summers, and so they had lots of moisture. And during the wintertime, it snowed a lot, and so there was continual moisture. They had fertile land, land, great sources of mineral within their soil to grow things. But the people of Moab were the complete opposite of the Israelites. They worshipped a god named Chemosh. They worshipped many gods. They were polytheists. They practiced human sacrifices. They did all the things that was, like I said, the complete opposite from the Israelites. So, also I want to break down when it says the Ephrites from Bethlehem. So, Ephrath means to be fruitful. 
And so I kind of thought that was ironic going into this. It means to be fruitful, this family. And then they were from Bethlehem, which means house of God. And they're going to Moab. They're going to this place that's filled with sin. And so the first thing that popped into my head about this scripture is, in desperate circumstances, have we gone to places that we shouldn't have gone to? In desperate circumstances, have we gone to places that we shouldn't have gone? Yes. But, does God still heal us even in those instances? Yes, He does. And so this is just the beginning. So they're going to a place that's sinful, but there's no food where they're living right now. And so they're desperate. So they go to this place in Moab. When Naomi heard in Moab, oh, before that, let me, let me reverse back. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Mahalan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So they've, they've suffered great tragedy. She's lost her husband, and she's lost her two sons. And so you think about her mindset. Think about where she is. Think about where Ruth and Orpah are losing their two husbands as well. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With their two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land. So they all set out together. And she gets to a point, and she's like, you know what? Y'all turn around and y'all go back home. She said, I have nothing to give you in this life. And they, they start crying. And um, so she says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And she said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this she wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So I think about this too. And in moments to where you feel completely broken, don't we have a tendency to want to climb back to our comfort zone instead of going forward when there's no end in sight. You want to immediately retrieve back and go back to what's comfortable. Orpah went back to her family. That's all she knew. 
She didn't want to keep going down this road with there not being a light at the end of the tunnel. She went back. But Ruth, Ruth stays with Naomi. And she says, my ways, I'm staying with you. My God is your God. Your God is my God. And I'm not going to leave you, you know. And so, um, she says, so Orpha goes back. And um, I just had this feeling as I was reading to talk about that, to talk about how we, we revert back in those situations. And we want to go back to something that is familiar and not something that we can't see, not something that's tangible. Because Orpha knows if she goes with Naomi, she may never have another husband. She may never have children of her own. You know, there's all these unknowns. But if she goes back, she knows that she could possibly remarry. She could possibly have children. She could possibly live a full life. And so, <laughs> um, as they wept aloud again, Orpah leaves. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even, the de if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitterness, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? And Naomi in Hebrew means pleasantness. So she goes from being pleasant, from having everything, to having absolutely nothing in her mindset. She has completely been emptied out. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth and the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So I think about this, too. I think about when things are going on in your life and the worst of circumstances, don't we kind of sometimes carry our circumstances, and they become part of us rather than allowing ourselves to keep walking and keep along the process. Our circumstances kind of become our identity rather than we have a choice to allow our circumstances to become our identity and we also have a choice to choose the process and allow God to work through our lives. So let's move on to chapter 2. <clears throat> Ruth meets Boaz in the grain field. Gleaning. 
Now Naomi has a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth had no idea, had no idea what God was about to do in her life. But she chose to go and be with her mother-in-law, despite everything, not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But she wanted to stay loyal to her and trust God. She said, your God is my God, and I'm going to stay with you. So she says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And I wanted to kind of go over what gleaning was. Gleaning is a process of collecting leftover crops from farmers' fields after they have been commercially harvested or fields that is not economically profitable to harvest. It became legally enforced entitlement of the poor in a number of Christian kingdoms. It was a modern day of dumpster diving, basically. And I want to just pause here and say, what are you gleaning for? Ruth, she's gone through all of this, and she's with her mother-in-law in a place that she's never been. And she's still thinking about providing for her and her mother-in-law. She's not thinking about losing her husband. She's not thinking about possibly being poor for the rest of her life. She's not thinking about never having children. She's just gleaning. She's just going and providing for her family what she knows she has to do. You think about it, what are some things, what are some things that we glean for when our situation becomes too much or we're constantly thinking about things that keep us from just being in the moment, being in life. I think about the other day, both my boys were jumping on the bed, grabbing me, saying, come on, Mom, let's jump on the bed, or let's run around the house. And I had something on my mind, and I was just sitting there, kind of just in a blank space, thinking about all the things I had to do, thinking about all the things that were going wrong, thinking about this, thinking about that, and I'm not wanting to just be in this moment with them. And we lose that sometimes. We lose being in the moment, taking it day by day. And this was something that Ruth was doing in this moment. She was just sitting in it. She was providing for her family. She wasn't letting everything else around her keep her from doing that. So let's keep going. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? So he notices her. Isn't it crazy how when we want to be noticed by somebody, we're typically not. <laughs> you know, when we put ourselves out there, when we're trying to be noticed, we're trying to make a scene, nobody really notices us. But it's in the times that we really get down to the foundation and we're just living in the process that people notice us. Boaz noticed Ruth. He noticed her.
Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young, young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She's picking for crumbs. She's gathering what she can. Not knowing what God is about to do in her life. He is about to blow her out of the water. <laughs> Little does she know. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvester. She came into the field and had remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So she goes from basically scraping grain, getting what she can, to, hey, go get a drink when you need to. And Boaz is like, leave her some extra grain, or leave her some extra um, husks, and leave her extra stuff to gather as she goes along. And um, so she goes from this, and she's like, what's going on? You know, like, my life is flipping within, you know, a matter of moments. She still doesn't realize what's going on. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch, drink. As this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So when you think about it, Ruth, she's just gleaning. She's just picking up what she has. She's not trying to show out and be like, I need a new husband. You know, I need a new life. I need this. I need that. She's just trying to provide for her family, not knowing what the future holds. And then here comes Boaz. As soon as Ruth says, your God is my God, God is there with her. And he's like, you're mine now. No matter what happens, I'm going to take care of you. Even though you can't see what the future holds, she didn't get to read this book. She's just living life just like me and you are. She doesn't know the outcome of what's going to happen. She's just doing life. So let's skip on. Um, so anyways... Boaz ends up giving her a bunch to take home. And when Naomi gets there, or when she gets back to Naomi, she's like, oh my gosh, where did you get all of this? Where did you go and harvest all this? And she told her the story of how she met Boaz. He was very kind to her, did all these things for her. And um, so 
it goes on to just, um, I want to talk about the process when it comes to how much work it took into harvesting grain. So it goes on in chapter 3 to talk about this, but I kind of want to stay here at the end of chapter 2. And so the threshing floor. So after they picked everything up off the ground, they took it to this threshing floor, something that would look like this, something that was a hard dirt foundation, hard concrete foundation, and they would throw all they had gathered in there. And then they would let oxen trod over it and crush it. They also had sleds with sharp rocks that would kind of break away the husks um, from the grain. And um, so the process removing the grain from the stalk and husk. And also I thought this was really cool in just another way how God takes care of everybody and everything. In Deuteronomy 25.4 it says that the animals that were used to trump all of this down weren't allowed to be muzzled so that they could eat some of it while they were working. God cared that much about the animal that he said, hey, they're going to benefit from this too. After it was threshed, they would take like a little pitchfork or even their hands and scoop up the remaining and they would throw it up in the air. And so they would have to do this when a high wind would be, so it would typically be in the evenings or something like that. But um, they would throw all of it up in the air and the wind would blow all of the extra chaff away from the grain and the grain, the substance, would fall towards the bottom again. But everything else would drift away. And so I thought about this and I thought about our layers I thought about when we identify ourselves, who do we really see? Is it somebody that God sees or is it somebody that we have been made to be here on earth? And so if you think about it, what are you known as? And then think about how that's not all you are. Think about how, how God has so much more for you than what people label you as. And so if you strip all of those layers away, blow it all away, and you come back to the surface, the real meaning, the grain, that's who you truly are in Christ. I also thought that this was cool. That even though God blows those, blows those imperfections away from you, all the things that hinder you and stumble around you, he blows those things away, and yet they can, be, they can still be used to bless others. Your messes, your mistakes can still be used to be a blessing in somebody else's life, to get them to change their ways, to get them to start a new path. It says they take the chaff, the stalk and the husk would sometimes be left to blow away, but sometimes it was used to make fuel. Sometimes it was used to make bricks. And so to me, this means God can still use your mess. God can still use what you've done wrong to be a blessing to somebody else. It can be a testimony. And the last part is seeding. They would take like a little two-foot, 
two and a half foot um, little bowl type net with mesh at the bottom. And they would place whatever's left after the willowing. And they would give it like six to seven sharp shakes, which would bring the remaining chaff and the straw to the surface. And so when I think about this, when God is molding us and making us throughout this whole threshing process, from the beginning, when you allow God into your heart, when you allow Him to start working on your life, it's going to be painful. I mean, it's going to be things that you don't want to encounter. It's going to be things that you've tucked away behind you that you wanted to stay there, come forward, and come out. Everything's going to be brought to the surface with God. And some people retreat at that. They're like, I can't do it. I can't face those things from my past. But you have to bring all of that back to the surface when you build a relationship with God. So all of that comes to the surface. Anything smaller than a seed or imperfect falls through the mesh and all the good grain is collected in the center before it can be made into flour. They have to get all the impurities, all the imperfections, everything out of it and bring it to its wholeness with Christ. And so I think about that I think about I think about all the things that we revert back to, all the comfort, all the things that we know are wrong that we should stay away from and yet we keep pulling back to that. But God is constantly, he never stops working on us. And the coolest thing about the Bible, the coolest thing about the story is just knowing the history of it knowing the background of it. It's just like knowing the background of a person. You can't judge a book by the cover. But if you actually knew their background, if you know the background when it comes to these biblical stories, it's a whole new light on the scripture. And so, this is the coolest thing to me that, that Jesus has a plan for everything. I mean, any mistake that we do, anything that we veer away from, he always brings us back to that center point. He always brings us back to wholeness, but we have to let all the junk come up. We have to let everything that keeps a roadblock between you, me and him or you and him, we have to let it come up and go away. We have to sit at that table with Christ without distraction in this world of technology, in this world of everything that pulls us away, money problems, marriage problems, um, every little thing that tends to pull us away from Christ, we have to bring all that to the surface and we have to acknowledge it and say, okay, God, get to the root of the problem. And then from here, he can really mold you and make you into the person that you're meant to be. And like I said, like the threshing process, the oxen tramp that down. Sometimes it's going to be hard and it's going to hurt when you're pulling all of that out. And then bringing it to the surface and letting all of it blow away. And God being in control of everything, being in control 
of the next step. And this is everything that Ruth was thinking about, I'm sure, during this process. She said, God, I'm giving it to you. In my mind, that's what she's saying. She's saying, you're my God. I'm, I'm accepting your God into my life, and I'm going to let him lead me through this. Lead me through this process. Isaiah 41, 15 through 16. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp, with many teeth. I will make you new. New and sharp. With many teeth. With many chances. Because of Jesus. You will thresh the mountains and you will crush them. And you will reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them. The wind will pick them up and a gale will blow them away. But you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. The poor and the needy search for water. But there is none, their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Just because you can't see it, just because you can't fathom it, just because it's impossible, doesn't mean that it's impossible for God. If you think about Peter, they'd been fishing all night, him and the disciples, and Jesus came back and said, throw it out one more time. So they did, and they caught a whole bunch of fish fish that they couldn't even carry back. Just don't let your thoughts, don't let what anybody else says about you or anybody else thinks about you or what you think they think about you hinder you from receiving the full love of Christ, the full, His full grace, His full everything. Because so many things can entangle us and keep us from getting the full benefit of Christ. And it's scary because time is limited. We have these moments, and that's what I was thinking about with my kids the other day. They're only going to be this small for so long. We're only going to be here on earth for so long. And then, and then it's to the next life. Whatever you've made your decision doing in this life, then it's on to the next life. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're like, well, I'm young. You know, or whatever the case may be. You could have a car accident the next day, not meaning to think, you know, about stuff like that. But you have to think about it. You have to think about just preparing your life, how every day you need to take in those moments and make them with substance. You have to glean. You just have to, you know, keep doing what you're doing and not let your circumstances become your identity. And so, I think back, just finishing up with Ruth, how hard that would be, because so many times I just waller in things that are going wrong and problems that I have going on, and I just waller in it. And... Like Naomi, it becomes your identity. Like when she walked back into town, they were like, could this be Naomi? Have you worried so much? Have you allowed all these things 
to like really change who you are to where people can't recognize who you were before. And I really think about that and see how powerful our minds are and that we have the ability to control those thoughts, that we have the ability to lay it all down and that everybody goes through something. Don't ever feel alone that you are going through something that nobody else has gone through, that your sin or your whatever is greater than anything else that could ever possibly be. That's, that's nonsense. And so, in closing today, I just want you to remember Ruth. I want you to remember her journey and how God blessed her. She didn't get to read this book. She didn't get to read her outcome. But she believed that God can turn anything into good. It's just like the rain today. I just had this feeling coming into church that we all needed to pray together for rain because I believe that God can make it rain when the sun is shining outside with no cloud in the sky. I mean, if you have that type of faith, that's the type of faith that Ruth had going into this journey, not knowing her outcome, and God bless her tremendously because of just the little small amount of faith that she had. And she didn't allow her thoughts or what somebody possibly had said about her or told her. You could just imagine the little people standing around saying, what are you doing? You know, you have the opportunity to just come back. Come back and be where you were from, you know, and don't go through this difficult situation. She even gave you a blessing not to. But Ruth chose the hard path because she knew God was faithful, because she knew God would get her through anything that came her way.